All right, joining me today is Sargon Carr, the co-founder and CEO of Byteboard. Sargon, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. All right, fantastic. All right, well, we're going to talk a little bit about interviewing. You're going to give us some tips, but I'm going to start uh, with an interview question for you. All right, here's the hypothetical situation. You've joined a book club, and the book club is going to meet tomorrow. You're 200 pages behind. So my question is, what do you do? Do you push through and finish the book? Do you call your friends and tell them? Uh, do you basically cop to that you didn't do it? Do you just fake like you read it? What do you do in this situation? This is the kind of important decision executives have to make every day. This is a uh, this hit, situation hits hits home pretty pretty close to home. Um, I was in something very similar this weekend, and I ended up turning to ChatGPT actually. Um, and started asking, Hey, what happens in chapter eight? What happens in chapter nine? And started like getting a summary on like, Hey, what happens at the end of the book? Give me an excerpt from the book. And I start pushing it to its limits. And they're like, Hey, we're hitting copyright laws now. Like you need to read the book and find it yourself at this point. But the really, and this applies to interviews as well. I, I couldn't trust it. And I was like, what if you're making up this ending on your own? Like, there's no <laughs> way for me to verify. Right. And so I I haven't told this to my friends. I ended up going to book club, didn't tell them I finished I didn't finish it. I had like at that point like 70 pages left. And um I just like never mentioned the ending of the book during book club. I just like talked through all the pages because I, I couldn't trust it. I was like, what if but they, you like- wouldn't, you completely faked it. You didn't copy it. You weren't like, Hey, I got pretty far. Cause it's, you know, it's a, I assume it's a friendly book club. I don't know. I've never been to like, Oh, uh, these are two of my best friends. I could have okay. totally said it. And we just never hit that point. I was able to answer every question that was coming up because it was, we mostly talked about the beginning of the book. If we got to the point where like, did you think about this ending? I would have been like, look, this is what I think happened in the ending, but I don't want to be like, hey, XYZ person dies. And you're like, where did you read that? Like, what version of the book did you read? Um, yeah, no, I think, that, but I think there is some like, it was like, like an interviewing tip there, like stay to what you know, right? Like keep the conversation around the areas of your strengths, right? And then it's like, maybe if they really backed you into a corner, right? You could have been like, listen, sorry, just, you know, you could have given up or you could have just guessed at what the ending was or just trusted chat GPT is like, well, I hope, I hope there was a murder at the end. Cause that's what I read. So that would be uh, the moment. So we'll get, really we'll, hit, was it a good book? I guess here we'll start off with a recommendation. Was it a good book? Would you recommend it? We ended on it being like a B minus. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're, well, reading, we're reading uh, Daisy Jones um, next, which is like based on Fleetwood Mac. Um, and then okay. you chose yeah. So I'll I'll give you a recommendation for that next time. I will be reading that one full. I have the physical copy of it. All right, I like it. I like it. Well, it's good. Well, it's like you know, uh, Chat GPT. That's what my son. I've, I'm always telling my son not to use Chat GPT to uh, to cheat. But like, once you're an adult, you can do whatever you want. So that's what I tell him. So good job. All right. Well, good job. Good job making it through the book club. Uh, I think it's good. Well, listen. The reason I wanted to have you on is like you know, jobs, hiring, interviews. You know, it's a super popular topic right now for obvious reasons. And uh, you have started Byteboard. But before we get to that, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you you started at Google, so people always want to know how to get a job at Google. So why don't we start there? How'd you get your first job at Google? Well, I failed my first interview at Google, got rejected. So that's not how to get a job at Google. I feel like 99% of the audience was like, been there. <laughs> All right, go on. Yes, that's great. 
I studied this book called Cracking the Coding Interview my final semester in college, like cover to cover twice over. It was like, and everyone gave me the advice that the companies that you really want to work for, like schedule them at the end of your interview cycle. So it like mm-hmm. probably did like 30, 40 companies I was interviewing with senior year. And Google was my last interview it was like, I graduated semester early. So it was like in November. Um, and I was graduating in December and I walked in and I had like so much practice being in front of men and there's like coding on a whiteboard. Um, cause I just like done it for three months straight. And so got through round one, got through round two. This was a Mountain View campus. It was like already like, oh my gosh, this campus is wonderful. Like they had sent like a cab to pick me up. Like I was, I was living it. Um, there was bikes all over, you know, this is when mm-hmm. uh, remote work was, was far, far away. Um, and I got to my fifth round and they asked me a question that was like bitwise operations. And it just like, had forgotten to like study up on them. <laughs> it was like this section in class, like ages ago that we had like learned about them, never, ever used them again. I'd never used them in my internships either. And I just totally blanked. So like for 50 minutes, me and this guy just like had to stare down effectively. It was like, you're not getting this. I don't know how, how many more hints to get me. And I was like, I just like need to study this chapter and I would know how to do it. So that killed my chances then and there. Um, but I passed the other four of the five interviews. So I got a call from the recruiter. I was like, hey, you were like, you know, we talked a lot about you during hiring committee, but like ultimately didn't give you an offer. Um, and I was like, okay, well, not surprised. Went on, worked and went to work at Yahoo at the time as an engineer. Uh, but a couple months Months later, the recruiter back and they uh, asked me to come back for another interview at that time. And they were trying this new thing where they're doing rotations. So you get to rotate and like actually do work on the job and see how you do. Um, so I ended up joining that program first year at Google. Did really well. Like lo and behold, like when I was on the job, I was able to like figure things out. Um, my first project was like coding in Go and I'd never learned Go, never done Go, but like the first six months I was coding in Go and was able to pick it up. So on that basis, I got converted to full time and that's how I ended up at Google. But like, it sticks with me still. It was like, I didn't pass the interview and like so many of my peers that were in that program, they had started this program then and there, like have gone to be like staff engineers or engineering managers very quickly in their career. Um, and this question remains of like, was the interview actually doing a good job of assessing for the right years and, and the right fit? Yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting story. I didn't, you know, I've not heard of someone like, cause usually once you're out, it's like, it's, I don't know. It feels like it's hard to, so that's, you obviously made an impression, you know, or something, something happened in that cycle sure. where they're like, okay, we're going to keep your number. Cause uh, I think a lot of people listening to this can relate to like, well, they're like, you're not good enough. So they move on pretty quick. So, well, I guess that's kind of where I was going to ask the next question, but I think you kind of answered it. So you obviously, made it into Google, we're doing well, but then it sounds like you've kind of had the idea that like, Hey, this engineering interview, coding interview could be better. Is it, is it all stemming from your kind of that experience? Is that where the idea for Byte um, came from? Yeah, uh, it definitely, that, that story in that particular moment had a lot to do with it. I feel like there was a lot to prove to myself of like having not passed the interview, but like doing really well at Google, getting promoted at that time. I'd been an engineer on the Google Photos team for a couple of years at that point. Um, loved the team and like learned a ton. Um, but I'll be honest, I never ever crossed my mind to like start a startup. Uh, 
would just like that was not me at that point of time. I was like going to be a Google lifer. I was like, I was going to work on the Mountain View office for 10 years and the, the London office and the New York. I like, I loved mm-hmm. Google life. Um, it definitely had the golden handcuffs on me. Uh, but Google had this program um, called Area 120, which was effectively an incubator inside of Google. So as a Google employee, you can go and start a startup within Google. Um, you remain a Google employee. So it was a lot less risky to start a startup um, that way. Um, and at that point, I had been talking to a friend and had been prepping this friend to interview at Google. And he was like one of the smartest people I know. And I would carry a physical whiteboard, like, you know, those whiteboards, I would carry a physical whiteboard every Saturday morning into our local local cafe and we would practice problems. Um, and he he was sought, but he was so incredibly smart. He had, like started two of his own startups, coded everything scratch. Um, but we would sit there for three months every Saturday practicing these questions. And so that was kind of in the back of my head of like, why is this process not working? He ended up getting a phone and at Google and like could not understand what the engineer was trying to say. Like they, they just had a language barrier in some ways um, and didn't end up passing even the phone screen. Um, he's gone on to like do really well, but not at Google. And so with that premise, just like knew very clearly a problem existed, like interviews did not work. They, they left out strong engineers and they didn't actually assess for the right things of what we would be doing on the job. Very clearly a problem existed. I don't know what the solution looked like at that point of time when we were starting Pipeboard, but we were very clear that a problem existed. And that's kind of what sprouted the, the ignition to, to go and pursue Biteboard. Okay. And give us kind of give us the elevator pitch. What exactly is Biteboard today? So everyone kind of has a sense of you know what you offer. Yeah, it's a very practical approach and it's a project-based interview that reflects what engineers do on the job. I talked to you about, you know, having to study cracking the coding interview, having to study whiteboard questions over and over again. And whiteboard, it does not require you to study for interviews. If you are a software engineer, if you're self-taught, if you are, if you've gone through school, if you've worked at a company, senior or junior, you pursue software engineering every day. You problem solve, you work through um, how to build incredible products, you'd be able to demonstrate those skills through a Biberg interview. It very okay. much simulates what you would do on the job. So yeah, let's like drill in. Cause I think what you, the story you told, I think is the ex- interview experience for a lot of people have. It's like, you know, I would kind of like say it's, it's the whiteboard. It's usually something about algorithms. It's like, you know, from the very simple things like reverse a link list to like do this via recursion. And it's, it does, it's mostly like, it feels a lot like a computer science, you know, class, right. That you would take and you're, you're getting graded. And then especially the older, this is what I, this is my experience. I'd like to hear what you say. It's like, you know, the more, uh, the more senior, the engineer, uh, the more they hate interviews and the more these quite, even, even when they're asked these questions, it, they just, it almost infuriates them. They're just like, this is, cause they feel, I feel like they would say it's like, it's a waste of time. This doesn't represent what I'm, yeah. you know, I do day to day. And like, I could look up uh, red, black trees, or like, I could look up these answers if I needed to, or I could refresh kind of the story you told, or I could go reread the chapter if I really had to do it. But 
uh, we all know a lot of times that's not even the job. So, so that is the problem, which I'm just going to stand in for the audience. Like I think every, we all agree, like everybody, <laughs> many of us agree. Uh, maybe contrast that. So like what exactly is different about, like maybe even describe how it works. So like if I'm, if I'm interviewing, I've made it through the phone screen and they want, someone wants to test my coding skills, like what would happen? What would I do as a candidate? Yeah, it's exactly what you just said, right? Like, I think it's like disrespectful, honestly, to just get like an algorithm question when you've been in the industry for like 10 plus years, even five plus years, it doesn't matter. If you're not out of right out of school, um, it should reflect what you day to day, because that's that's what you're really that's the role that you're interviewing for. So the Byport interview, it's actually split up into two parts. The first part is a design doc. It's like a technical spec that you're going through, you're making trade-off decisions, you're communicating why you should do this thing over this thing. You're asking questions of like, hey, what's the impact of uh, of us like using this server over this server? It's going to increase latency. It's going to Im- impact the users in XYZ way. And so you're really, really dr- drilling into those like day-to-day technical conversations you have as an engineer on a team. And you're communicating that asynchronously, which often happens in this world. Then in part two, it follows up on what you just like read about, what you wrote about, what you made decisions on on part one for this project. You're not going to implement parts of this project, parts of this project. But one of my biggest pet peeves with interviews is I'd walk in to an interview and it'd be like a greenfield space of like, okay, write code on this whiteboard, on this Google Doc, on this coder pad, whatever it might be, like just start writing code fresh. And that's not what you do as an engineer. I would would say I spent more than half my time like looking through other people's code and making sure I understood what it was doing so that my own code or what I was trying to achieve could fit and work within that system. And so with Byteboard, we provide an existing code base and you're coding within that. There's like to-dos left in the code. You're trying to implement read code and we get a full understanding of this. Can this individual read and write code? Can they make the trade-off decisions of like why they might go with this algorithm or this data structure over another one? It's not just passing your code through a machine at that point. We're looking at everything that you provided. Maybe you you commented out something and you were debugging something. Maybe you wrote pseudocode. All of that is taken a look. And that's why a lot, most of our candidates are actually senior candidates. Most of the companies, Betterment, Arcadia, Webflow, use by board for senior hiring as well. Okay, so that's pretty cool. So it's, it is, I, I really like the idea of like an existing code base because... <laughs> I mean, that's the reality, right? And what you said there is true. It's like most people, it's like the first few weeks, a lot of times it's like you just have to understand what the hell is going on in the code base before you add anything, right? Or before you add anything big. So that's that's pretty cool. So so I guess, so I do it and then do I do it all online? And then I like, or does it like a SaaS base and like results are available to the, to I guess whoever wants to grade it? Like how does the the backend part of it work? Like who grades this assignment that maybe I've completed? So the way the Byboard interview process works is if you're applying to a company, say you're applying to Lyft or you're applying to Figma, which are both Byboard uh, companies, they'll send you an invitation to take a Byboard interview. It's completely asynchronous. So you can take it at your own time. If you want to take it at 2 a.m., I'm a night owl. I'd probably prefer to take an interview later at night than early in the morning. Um, you take it on your own time and you're not, you're not working with an interviewer. So you're just like working through a project. No one's looking over your back. Um, while while doing this interview. Once you've completed this interview and all our interviews are built in-house, as you can tell, they're pretty, they're pretty robust. It requires a design doc. It requires an existing code base. So all of those are made in-house by our assessment development team who are a mix of 
uh, CS educators and software engineers. So they come from a really particular, like perfect background in that sense. And then we have manual reviewers that are effectively going in and tagging the data of the candidate's performance. This is a really big distinction than other tools in the market that have mostly automated uh, automated evaluation systems that put your code or put your assessment through a machine and either you end up with a pass or fail. Whiteboard, we actually have trained software engineers that are looking through your performance materials. And it's not like they're going in like, yeah, this candidate did pretty poor today. We're going to mark this as a poor. No, we have like very, very regimented, rigid grading systems that ask like, did this candidate for this section say option A, B, or C? Did they say X, Y, Z in definition? So it's very, very strict questions that they go through and effectively tag the data. And that input then gets put in through our rubric algorithm that produces a full report for our companies and our hiring managers. This report doesn't only include like how that candidate did, but it gives you a breakdown, everything from notes on where the candidate did well and didn't do well to a list of 20 plus skills and how that candidate did on a skill by skill basis across those skills. So some of these skills might look like reading the ability to read code, um, uh, trade-off analysis, systems reasoning skills, communication, written communication skills, or there might be um, domain-specific skills. For example, we have a front-end interview. How do they do on accessibility for the front-end that they created? How do they do in terms of alignment and UI? So there's very, very specific skills uh, we're also able to give notes on. And then the results that I... Obviously, the the company gets the results, and you know, I, I assume the hiring manager committee can look them over. Now, do I, as a candidate, do I get any feedback, or can I see like like how I scored? You can see. So you don't get the report your, uh, yourself as a candidate. That report belongs to the company, but we provide enough summary details to the company to be able to give really reliable, valuable feedback back to the candidate. Oftentimes, we get the question from hiring managers of like hey, okay, I'm not going to move forward with this candidate. Like, what feedback do I give them other than just saying no, which is not really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. With the Byteboard report, they're able to say like, hey, this is where we saw that you performed really strongly on on skills. And these are skills that we see that you need to, you need some more more improvement. And candidates really appreciate even that level of detail. One thing I'll add here is that candidates if they apply to a different company that's also using Byteboard, they can choose not to take the interview again. So they have the ability to opt into just sharing their performance or retaking the interview. So if you think you did well and you want to not have to, like you're applying to a ton of companies, you don't have to take this interview over and over again. You can actually speed up the, your process at multiple companies at the same time. See, I love that. That's the part I was going to be my next question. I mean, I just, as I'm hearing that, I'm just like, cause I, I don't know whatever you want to call it. Like, bite board certified or whatever, just some kind of score. Be like, Hey, I've already done it. Look over my results and let me know if you want to move forward. Like, well, yeah. I don't Well, I, I, to me, I love that, but I don't know. Now I'm going to ask you, it's like, do people tend to do that? Do they just, you know, they feel like I, I did well and, and just say, Hey, use that. That's a mission. Or do they take it multiple times? Like what's the, what's the strategy there? Yeah. I would say over 95% of our candidates when offered to take, you know, do you want to send your results your previous results in, they'll they'll choose to do that. And one of the caveats I'll mention here is, hey, company A is going to like have a different understanding of what a strong candidate looks like for them than potentially company B. And we have calibrated rubrics for each company, but the performance of that candidate stays the same. We're able to just rerun that report 
for the fine tuning of the calibration for what each company needs. So each company gets a unique report of that candidate. So say you did pretty well, but like company A didn't end up going through or it wasn't a strong result for a company A, company B might still think you're a really strong candidate and your report would go through. So for candidates, it's they don't want to be spending time interviewing. It's the interview process. Like I can talk about it as a whole and like how broken it is. Um, we're, fi- we're right now fixing a, a part of it right now. And there's, there's obviously a lot of potential for us to grow that. But if as a candidate, especially right now, the amount of hours I have to spend applying to a company, doing potentially five to six rounds with each company is just really, really cumbersome for something that I'm, no company's really truly that unique that for their first and second round interviews, they're asking like, like really particular questions. They're all looking for the same thing. Can you code? Can you like trade off? Can you do trade off analysis? Can you communicate well? Like those are the, the foundational skills they're looking for. So it doesn't make sense for each company to be doing like their own way and version of it. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. So on the rubric though, you said something like, so like how does like just pick company A versus company B? So like would company A say like, I'm looking like, like uh, would I say something like, hey, I'm looking for like a strong backend person and, you know, node and you would then give me like a rubric that sort of like emphasizes that versus like, like how does that part work? How do I tweak yeah. it as a, a company looking for candidates? So all our assessments are very skills-based. So as I talked about those 20 plus skills, that's what you're able to flex up or down. So you might say that I really need strong communicators on our team. We work very asynchronously. Like their ability to really communicate well is really important to me. So I just want like top of the top when it comes to communication. And we'll flex and we'll weigh that skill higher than Mm -hmm. other skills. Or you might say like, hey, right now I'm building out a junior team and I just need to to know that they can code and they can read code really well. And like, that's really important to me. So we would weigh those skills higher in that in that case. And it also differs level by level for a junior candidate. They're still building up their trade off skills their systems reasoning skills, their design, like product design skills. And so you might weigh those skills a little bit lower as they're getting and building up their experience. But their coding skills have to be on lock. Right. Like then those skills are weighed higher. But for more senior candidates, they're really making like architectural decisions. They're they're driving those conversations of like, how do we build this? What is the long term implications of these technical details that they're about to implement? What are those going to be? And so you really want to be weighing those like part one skills or uh, for our design doc portion more. Nice, nice. Oh, that's interesting. Now, what about like? Um you know, someone that's applying and maybe they've done a bunch of work that's available. So it's up on like GitHub or something along those lines. It's like, do you find that people, cause I was thinking as you were kind of talking there, I was like, well, ideally as a candidate, you would like want to take the interview, do well in the interview, but also kind of like, you know, I would think it's almost like a way to like, Hey, this is the way I like to work. And I did it. So if someone that opts out, that's, it's almost like good. It's like, I'm not a good fit for them. Right. Like the way I like to do things. So, but then if you couple that with like, and then, Hey, here's some, here's some other things you can look at. Here's my GitHub profile. And I don't know, you know, I know there's lots of like problems with this, but like, you know, whether looking at commits or looking at projects, it sort of like gives somebody like, here's everything about me. Like, do you find that people kind of try to submit that together? Is that a, a good strategy for a candidate? Look, I think you're alluding to some of the problems there. And I think the best, best way, if we could really do it to interview a candidate is like bring them on site, work with them for a week, pay them for that week. Like that's how you're really going to like know if it's the, like a really good fit mutually. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not a scalable solution. Very, very tough to do. And with Bipore, that's we're effectively walking out of this performance with a work sample. 
Like this is how yeah. I work. This is it. Mm-hmm. And for folks that are not familiar with GitHub or don't have public projects that they can put on GitHub, it creates this discrepancy of like, obviously if I had, if I was accepting GitHub projects, any candidate I was adding that supplemental uh, material, you're going to weigh higher. You're going to be biased and be like, well, look at all this code that they've done. Like this, this is great. But that doesn't mean necessarily that they're any better or any, you know, any better of an engineer than another candidate that might not have a GitHub repo that's yeah. public. So how I do think you you're that? something. I, I want to tee you up. I feel like you're going to have an opinion here. So like who does the hiring process today favor and who does it not? Who does it disadvantage? Like what is your view of that? I talk to the professor at Stanford who teaches a two unit class every quarter on how to pass a technical interview. That's literally what the class is called. great curriculum, right? Like amazing curriculum. And it teaches you everything from like how to train for those interviews, what algorithms to study, all of that stuff. I've talked to students at Howard and other HBCUs and they don't take their like algorithms class sometimes until senior year, first semester. And that is such a critical like class to pass the technical, like to pass the technical interview if you're getting an internship. If you get a strong internship, you level up to like getting your full-time job. Like you just have 10x better chances in that. So looking at that picture of like those folks who have the access to those materials, those folks who have the access to engineers who can refer them, who can train them, who can mentor them, who can go through mock interviews with them, you're going to be better prepared for the way that the system system interviewing system exists today. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think you know you're right. They're definitely, you know, I guess like if you will, uh preparing for the interview. And I guess it's you could apply that to colleges too. It's like the people that take the SAT prep or like, you know, like, you know, training on the test is, is, it's always like a, I don't know, it's a questionable thing. Like, why are we spending so much time on the test? And, um, and I think it applies to interviews. Now, I think, I mean, you've said some stuff here that's awesome. So, I mean, but now having, you know, knowing a little bit about the Google pro, uh, interview process, like I, I almost, I just, I'm just asking it this way. It's sort of like, wow, this seems to almost kind of fly in the face of some of the Google uh, interview process. And I guess for those that don't know, this is this is my impression. You tell me what is wrong. It's like, okay, you talk to the recruiter and then there'll eventually be a phone screen, but usually the recruiter will literally be trying to prep you. They'll be saying something like, okay, this is the interview. You're going to have this many rounds. You should watch these YouTube videos. They'll send you like a pretty long document of like what to expect. And like, I don't know, it's almost like a study guide, right? I mean, it's kind of like that, right? And they're, because the recruiter's trying to like get you ready, right? And it's like, and they, they kind of tell you like, you know, you should, you need to prepare, right? Like that's like, I, I, I feel like, I feel like this is uh, all common knowledge. I'm not like breaking any secrets here. Um, and so, which is like, okay, you know, if you want to work at Google, I think we all know this is what you got to do, right? It's just like, you got to prepare or you're not going to get it. So, so when you're at Google, when you were pitching this, like, like, I don't know, what did the Google hiring people say? Were they like, did they relate to this problem? Or are they just like, no, like our process is awesome. Like how was it received? Uh, it's a good question. We, we worked in incubation, like pretty separately from Google. Like we weren't starting trying to sell to that level of enterprise at that point. I will say it resonated across Google. Like they're constantly improving their processes. They're constantly changing things up. Um, they uh, they were experimenting. I think there's a pretty public of like having laptops in the room. So you're not like coding on a whiteboard, you're coding out. So there were definitely incremental changes that we're making. It's just as a large organization. So like to be able to make changes, especially employee related, like employment related, which is like has so much legal red tape around it, is really, <laughs> really difficult. Like, yeah. you know, they're... 
it's not like they don't know that improvement is needed. It just like takes a three-year-long study to be able to make any of those changes happen. And that was part of the reason where we focused on startups and like fast-growing startups because they were much quicker to adopt something like this. And we sell directly to hiring managers. Like I was an engineer and I became a salesperson for the first four years, still I am, I suppose, of building by Ford and was the only person on the sales team. And just like that light bulb moment when you were talking to an engineering manager or an engineering director of being like, yes, like very similar to this conversation we're having today. Like, this is so obvious. Let's just do it. Unfortunately, like when you're at a big company, it's it, there's so many stakeholders involved. Like that process is so embedded and so rooted deep. It's hard to, to fully break down immediately. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, you know, when you talk to like, you know, people hiring managers, especially at big companies, including Google, they will often you know, kind of lament that it's the process is really slow and it's hard. And then, you know, maybe the people they want, they feel like they feel like should just be in the company immediately aren't available or won't do the interview. And it's, I don't know, it's like a, this whole dance that's outside of the interview process that's often happening, which is, you know, which I think is, you know, the problem you're trying to solve. So that, that is awesome. Now we've talked a lot about the coding side, but I also wanted to make sure that we hit on, cause it's, you had some other jobs here, right? It was SRE as another interview. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe talk about like, is it any, I mean, is it the same kind of thing? Like it's obviously not maybe writing production code, but it's doing like an SRE project. Is it the same kind of similar to what you described before? Yeah, we have five different domains today. So it's the software engineering. Then we have the front interview, the mobile SRE data engineering. Um, I'm missing one at this point too, but we're constantly developing more and more interview questions under that same methodology. You start with a design doc and then there's a coding portion. With an SRE interview, you're going to focus on a question or a project that's more related to like system design decisions. How do you build a reliable system and how do you manage that? For a data engineering uh, interview, it might be, it might look like making data, database design decisions. How do you ingest and manipulate data? So it'll be focused on projects that are more related to that role and that job and what you might encounter at that point. Okay, that's pretty cool. Well, I think the SRE, I'm really interested in to hear how that progresses because I don't feel like it's quite as ingrained like the way things are done. So like that feels like real greenfield, a little bit greenfield. Like, I don't know. And also like, I don't know, I just feel like operations, SRE, like, I don't know, that, that group feels like it would, it would gravitate to like more something like this. Like, hey, we need to talk about production, right? Because yeah. the first thing you're going to say is like, ah, these developers, we have to, we just have to keep them in check, right? So I just feel like that would be a very relatable interview process. So that's cool. Well, I think that's really, that is, that's excellent. So let's kind of go back though. I want, I want to hear the story about, so, you know, you, you're at Google, you're going to be a lifer, you're going to work in the London office, and then you've obviously gone on and now you're the CEO, head salesperson, let's call it. Uh, and you went out and you raised money from like, I don't never, I haven't heard of this. I just want to ask about Cowboys Venture, right? If I got that right. So like, what was like, just how, how did that happen? How did you decide to become a CEO? How did you go raise money? How did you end up with Cowboys Venture? Yeah, I will say as someone who very much likes to have a life plan, like none of this was written in the life plan <laughs> to, to spin out of Google was like never, ever on the life plan to ever do. And that we were one of the we were the only company to ever spin out of Area 120. It was not a process that was documented at Google. It was definitely not something that um, was easy to do. And so spent a lot of time making that happen. And once we did um Fundraising already is the most terrible thing out there to do. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> Go on. Uh, and 
having like this whole spin out and Google involved, like made it 10 times harder um, than that. So I wouldn't recommend fundraising to anyone. I slept on my floor many a days after back-to-back fundraising calls, but um, we ended up with an investor that we really, really, really liked. Um, Cabbage is led by Aileen Lee. She's a 20 year veteran in the industry. Um, And it's like very, very much like, the same values of like empathetic leadership, how we, how you build a company is like to do well by the people and do well by your mission. And that was really, really important for us. Um, in fact, 50% of our investors or angel investors in our round are, uh, are women and POC, um, both in terms of count and in terms of dollars. So I spent like an extra three months being very selective on who we were fundraising for uh, from, because it was important that Ultimately, the people that we're making money for for are people that I can stand behind. That's awesome. Well, that's, that that's pretty good. So, how many uh, how many uh, pitches did you have to do? Like, how many? Like, is it like five, ten, a hundred? Like, like <laughs> people a sense. Like, how many different VCs did you have to go into the room and and do the PowerPoint for? I think the final count for just VCs, not angels, was close to like forty seven. Wow. Well, there you go. There you go for everybody that wants to start their own company. There's there's a data point for you. That's a lot. That's a lot of meetings. So, um, well, it, it sounds like it's kind of maybe back to your interview experience. Like by, by the 47th pitch, I bet you had it down. I bet it was like a, a pretty solid story by then. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Actually, now that you pointed out, like it was like, hey, you should, basically what the recommendation had. It was like, and this is kind of silly, but like you have to group your like tier one, tier two, tier three into your like and kind of base work from tier three pitch those because you're the questions you get i think we had 28 iterations of our deck of our fundraising deck because every call you'd be like oh that question came up i'm going to add a slide about this i'm going to reconfigure this story to be xyz and so you just like constantly it was such a big mind share and it was so exhausting to do the same joke same intro every time, you know, 40 something times. Like you're a stand-up comedian with your routine. You're like, oh, they're going to laugh here. That's, that's awesome. No, that's, it's that's like, I think I was trained to be like, oh, they didn't light up at this point. This is not going to go well. Like, <laughs> like you know, you're like, okay, guys, you, let's just, let's move on. I know. Yeah. I didn't hear you, so, well, that's great. I mean, hey, congratulations on getting through that. I mean, any, anyone that's uh, able to get money. And I guess like, what is, so, um, so what's the status of the company now? So like, I guess Google, does Google like a, a venture are you i guess do you have equity with google as well as cowboy ventures like how like what's the structure of this company now yeah um you know google helped grow this company the first three and a half years so they're definitely um still an investor in Byteboard. um and then we raised our seed round with cowboy ventures along with um a ton of great angel investors erica brescia she was a ceo at github she's now the managing partner at redpoint um Candice, uh, Candice, who was, she's a partner at GV. She was the head of um, diversity at Pinterest. So we just have like a really great mix of individuals um, who are part of my board and support by board and very active in, in any kind of support that we need. Yeah. And I think, I think the audience may know Erica from uh, Bitnami. She was out there. I think yeah. she's a CEO and uh, I think this audience like, Hopefully they all like Bitnami, but yeah, we all, we, we definitely know about that. That's cool. So that's a quite a, a roster of people behind you. So that, that's exciting. Um, well, listen, it's a podcast and um, it's uh, 
GPT. So we're required. Every podcast is required to talk about it and we're going to do it too. So, you know, you talk about the interviews and, you know, I kind of was kidding with you about your book club. Um, but like, you know, I do some like uh, very minor coding in Python, you know, play around with some of the various data things so I can at least know what's going on. And uh, I'll admit, like uh, I use, I cheat with Jet chat gpt all the time i just tell it to like you know like you know do this and it gives me the template and then i just cut and paste it and then i like just make some edits and i i gotta be honest with you i think it's fantastic i love it like yeah. i just like i would you know if i coded every day uh i would just not use stack overflow anymore and i would probably just use chat gpt most of the time so like when you're doing when you think about these interviews going forward and i'm sure the hiring companies are all thinking about this too it's like like, what's your take? Should we all just accept that, like, chat GPT is going to be, like, our, if you will, our autocomplete by the side? Or do we need to be concerned about this in the interviewing process and, like, somehow prevent people from using it? What's your take? Well, I don't think you can prevent it, right? It's very much there. And in many other tools out there, like, you know, even previous to chat GPT, they'd be like, well, you can't look up Stack Overflow, so we're going to record what tabs you go on or we're going to record your <laughs> screen, you know, we're going to do we're going to record your face. And there was all of these like limits that were put in to make sure you quote unquote, didn't do these things that you, you would do as an engineer on the job. Like, I think I constantly had stack overflow open now when I was on an engineer. I'd like learn how to build Google photos by Googling things like very much. And so I think pr- trying to prevent it is a no go. ChatGPT is a great speed hack for a great engineer. And it comes back to like what I was mentioning with the book club. It's like, how do you trust it? You need to be a smart engineer to know like what you're getting out of it is useful and how do you actually use it? It's definitely an assisted tool, not something that's like going to completely replace your fundamental knowledge of being an engineer. You can't walk in not being an engineer and use ChatGPT well enough to build out something because right now, the more complex things that you build the more knowledge you're going to need and how do I ask this question? How do I assess the, in, the output that's coming out of it as well? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Now, what are, are do like, the companies, are they asking you about it when they, when you kind of sign them on? I guess as you're, when you're selling Byteboard, like people ask that like, hey, um, hey, I want to prevent people from using Stack Overflow in, in ChatGPT. Do you kind of give them that that pitch? Like, hey, don't worry about it. That's part of the, the real world or are they do they push back? Like, what's their take? Yeah, I mean, that was our premise with Byboard from the beginning, right? Like folks can use and look up stuff all that they want to while they're going through the Byboard interview. Like prior to, you know, even the last six months with the AI assisted tools coming out, that has been part of our pitch from the beginning. Um, relative to other tools or other ways of interviewing, you can't just plug and play by like this like four page design doc and this like 10 plus coding files into ChatGPT and be like, hey, go install this interview for me. Like it doesn't like... It does not work. We've tried it. We've seen many attempts at trying this. But if you got an algorithm question and be like, hey, reverse this link list or like do this red block tree, you could plug that in and it could give you a very, very clean answer on mm-hmm. how to solve that problem. So anyone that's interviewing that way or those types of questions, there's definitely a question of like, is this effective? Is this, can you trust this anymore? This type of interviewing anymore? And again, I would say pretty much not. Like those became obsolete very, very quickly as soon as ChatGPT entered the conversation. With Byteboard, we're seeing that the folks that do try to use ChatGPT, you we can we can point that out very, very quickly. Usually the 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 response that ChatGPT 
T will do for our design doc question is like, hey, you should take a look at all of the options listed and make a best decision. Like it's just very clear. Yeah, very generic, right? Uh-huh. Very generic answers. And yeah, they like they sound nice, but it's not actually making any of those technical decisions. Or you could be like, hey, I think we should pick option A for XYZ reason. And you can have ChatGPT kind of format an answer for you. That's fine because you've already made that technical decision. You've put, given the trade-offs at that point too. And that's the core knowledge that we're trying to assess for anyways. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Well, what about uh, your company just internally? Are you guys, it feels like everyone's trying to adopt some version of AI and ChatGPT and all those things. Have you, have you guys doing anything internally interesting with it? Any use cases that you found making your life easier? Yeah. I, I mean, our assessment development team has actually been trying out a, a number of things, of, including how do we build assessments faster? We've we've got our core methodology there. We've, we've got different scenarios that we build our assessments on. Um, everything from, you know, we just like throw different assessments, different scenarios that we've come across. Um, everything from like a, a food related app or like how you might go about ordering food or, or everything from a a problem that's like kind of uh, how do you kind of like an Amazon problem of like how do you deliver um, and what's like the best route to deliver goods and items, um, but everything in between is is my point to say. And so we're we're seeing how can we use something like ChatGPT to assist us in creating more scenarios, more questions. Obviously, we have that core knowledge of what we are looking for from our assessments, and we go through a rigorous quality check of understanding does this assessment hold up to previous assessments in terms of rigor, what skills that we're looking for. So you have to be very, very specific in how we use it, but mm-hmm. can it be a speed hack for us is what we're looking at. That makes sense. So like, yeah, how many, like how long does it take to create an assessment? Is this like a months long endeavor, weeks? Like what, what does it take? It takes a couple of weeks, I would say. Um, it's getting faster and faster. It depends on if it's a new domain, it will take a couple of weeks. If we're just building within an existing domain, so we're building more assessments within SRE or within data engineering, that's much faster for us because we have the skill sets already locked down. We know what we're looking for or how to construct that question and module. Um, when we're looking up a new domain, we work and partner with existing engineers in that market. So for example, we've got a a data analyst and a security interview coming out pretty soon. And we're working with security engineers in the industry. We're working with data analysts in the industry to understand what is it that you do day to day? What skills are really important, really core to your job and building our interview off of that. Yeah. The security. I mean, that, that seems like an area ripe for, uh, for a lot of help. So that's, that's going to be, uh, I'm just going to predict that's going to be a very big growth area for you. Cause that's uh that's a probably more variance than anything I think interviewed today. It's just like when people interview for security, it feels like it's just hundred percent all over the place. So that's awesome. Well, good. Well, listen, before we uh, get out of here, I figured, you know, lots of people looking for jobs right now. I think I was uh, slacking with one of uh, the software defined talk listeners and like he was very frustrated with the interview process and how slow it was. And just, I don't know, there's just been a lot of talk about it. So, you know, it doesn't have to even necessarily be around the technical interview, but do you have any advice for all the job seekers out there that are trying to uh, get their first interviews, get their phone screens, find somewhere uh, new to work. Any, any tips for them uh, about how to like, you know, go out and find their next gig? It is on the hiring manager side, like looking for a diamond in the rough very much now, right? It's, it's now no, it's less of an employee environment or a candidate environment than it was 
before, obviously. And we have so many applications coming. We're looking for engineers. We're looking for a head of engineering as well. And we have so many applications come in and it, I'll be honest, it's like really hard to like look through every single one of them. You're kind of just like really quickly zipping through and like seeing if you can spot what you're looking for. I would say, so how do you like, how do you stand out is going to be the most particular thing. Um, I'll go through through the LinkedIn or I'll go through any of their public links and see if for a candidate that stands out. Folks that will apply and then send me a note and an email as well. We've definitely hired some folks in the past who, in addition to applying, have just like written a really clear note of like why Byport is important. I know that takes more time and, you know, I would, I would like do that for like the top five companies you really want to work for. Just go ahead and like cold email the hiring manager or the CEO of that team and be like, Hey, I really looked into and did my diligence. I really value that of someone who's taken their time. And clearly I think you should mass apply if you need a job, like more numbers is better. Like I'm not going to say don't mass apply. Um, But it really does help you stand out if you sent us as somewhat of a, a private note. Yeah, no, I think it's true. Like in the end, right? Obviously, the coding interviews and technical interviews are important, but I guess the soft side, it never goes away, right? Somebody that comes in, shows energy and excitement about whatever it is the company you're hiring for, that's always going to stand out to people, right? I think probably a million years from now, we'll still be talking about, like, hey, did you go in there and were you excited about it? Or did you? Because <laughs> it is. It's like sometimes people walk in and you can tell they, um, on the flip side, is you can tell people like have been out interviewing a lot and they, you know, and they come in and they're a little bit like, I, don't, I won't say down, but they're just sort of like, frustrated right and some you know yeah. sometimes and sometimes i could tell against you right probably unfairly you know it's just like hey i'm trying to do my best but like people care so that's great all right well this has been uh really fun so uh if i want to get started with Byteboard, i guess either on the hiring side or the job seeker side like what should i do how do i get in contact with you yeah for companies that are hiring engineers they can go to our website byboard.dev demo Happy to reach out to me directly as well. We can get you connected to our sales team and show you all about what Viper is. Um, it's super easy to sign up and onboard. We can get customers to start sending out their first invites with Viper pretty much within a half an hour of them signing up with Viper. So it's a very, very easy to use program um, tool. For candidates, we have all of the companies that are using Viper listed on Viper.dev hiring uh, slash hiring consortium. So candidates uh, slash, sorry, slash job board. You can take a look at all the companies that are hiring through Byboard. If you apply to multiple of those companies and they send you a Byboard interview, you only have to take it once. So you take the Byboard interview once and you're through with multiple companies at that point and um, onto their quote unquote onsite round. So that works out really well too. And then if anyone wants to reach out to me, happy to um, on Twitter or on LinkedIn, you can find me at Just Sargs. That's right. Or in Warriors game, are you, are you going to any of the Warriors games? Oh, Sounds like, yes. did, did you find time? Did you get some good tickets yet? That seemed to be one of, one of your goals on Twitter. Can you report in as our official Warriors correspondent? I will, ha- I will be purchasing the nosebleed tickets um, as I usually do. But if anyone wants to give me better tickets, I'm, I'm all ears. That's right. Well, I actually start by giving me the better tickets. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, that'd be great. That'll, uh, well, NBA season is heating up, so that'll be uh, fun to watch. So, yeah, so you know what I'm taking away from it? Here's what I think everyone should do. So you go to the Byteboard site. You can see who the hiring is. Get an interview and at least get your Byteboard interview done. And then what you can do is spend the rest of your time, because you'll just, like, use that interview. Then you spend the rest of the time doing some research on the companies you really like in there and writing personal notes. So they just, you know, it's like you reallocate, right? You're like, okay, got the interview done. 
that's finished. Now I'm going to do some personalized notes for like the top companies. Because you had some good ones on there, right? It was like, I mean, I'm sure they're all good. Let me first of all, I'm sure they're all good. Some some popular like Figma was on there. There's like, there's, some, there's some big names, I guess, is what I was thinking. So that would be a good place to start uh, if I was looking for an interview. Now, uh, also, if you want to stand out at your next interview, what you should do is you should uh, email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk dot com and i will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world and then when you go to the interview you can bring your laptop or you can bring your your mug and have have that on there and i'm sure they're going to see you be like well you listen to software fine talk you're obviously a great employee and we're obviously going to get you a great job so and i can do all of that uh free of charge so uh with that uh sargon thanks a lot for being on the show we really appreciate having you here thank you this is so fun and uh, for everyone else we'll talk to you next time